Welcome to Proper Charlie, the weekly podcast from me, Charlie Murray. This week is my monthly compilation of all of the musical items I've featured over the last four weeks, just in case you missed any of them. So, let's get started. album I want to chat about today is Black Star by David Bowie. I was inspired to mention Bowie's album in this episode after visiting a restaurant in Beckenham, Kent, which is on the site of a pub called The Three Tons, where David Bowie ran a small folk club in the late 1960s. Apparently, he only booked singers who ran a folk club themselves and booked him in return. That was how his career started. I so wish that I could have been there to see him and his folk club in action. How incredible it would have been to witness such an amazing piece of musical history in the making. It really makes me wonder if I've ever witnessed a David Bowie in the making at one of my local folk clubs. David Bowie was an iconic English rock star who I don't think really can be summarised in just a few sentences. He was an enigma, and so he shall always remain. One thing I did learn recently, though, about David Bowie, is that his real name was David Jones. But he changed it to Bowie so he wasn't confused with Davy Jones of the American pop rock band The Monkees. I always imagined there was some sort of elaborate story about how Bowie came to be. The real reason seems oddly ordinary and all the more endearing, don't you think? Black Star is the 25th and final studio album by David Bowie. It is something he started working on whilst battling with liver cancer, something he kept as a very dignified secret in true Bowie style until his death. According to his co-producer, Tony Bisconti, He intended for this album to be his swan song, and that's exactly what it is. An absolutely incredible parting gift to his fans. I can still recall the first time I heard this album. It was a very confusing day. This album was released just two days before David Bowie's death, and the day that I found out that the Starman had returned home, I listened to this album for the first time. I'd been away and that was the earliest I could listen to it. I'd waited years for a new David Bowie album and there it was, on the day the music died. It made hearing the album for the first time all the more emotional, that's for sure. What's interesting is how the musical arrangements on this album harked back to his folk love roots. It was as though the late Mick Ronson was by his side in the studio. It's such a wonderfully weird album, and the more you listen to it, the more the album really reveals itself to you. It's a confusing, autobiographical documentary of a terminal illness and the reality of one's own mortality, without ever really directly talking about it. And although I'll never know, I imagine it must have represented the confusion and battle within Bowie's own brain. There are so many incredible songs on this album, in fact, 
Just like I said about PJ Harvey's Letting Than Shake the other week, I much prefer listening to this album as one composition rather than individual tracks. Each track flows seamlessly from one to the next and it's just a spectacular piece of music. The most emotive song on this album has to be Lazarus, especially if you watch the music video that accompanies it. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama, can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. The song is an epitaph of David Bowie, written by Bowie himself. It addresses his illness and how he kept it to himself until the very end. The video that accompanies the song shows him lying on a deathbed with a bandage over his face with buttons sewn on for eyes. It's very eerily beautiful. My favourite track from this album is Girl Loves Me. It's such a clever song the way it blends the use of Nadsat, a fictional language from A Clockwork Orange, and Polari, which is an old language spoken mostly amongst actors and musicians, particularly gay ones that wanted, or rather needed, to disguise what they were talking about. It's a really clever use of language that makes this one of the most enchanting sounding songs from this album. It's dark, sexy and just absolutely delicious to listen to. I have to say that Black Star is honestly my favourite David Bowie album. I know that can be something of a polarising opinion because he has such an incredible back catalogue of music, but I really admire the fact that even though he was dying of cancer, Bowie still managed to put a truly breathtaking album out. It really does show the true power and strength that music can give to a person. The next album I have listened to a lot this week is Them Crooked Vultures' self-titled debut album. This is an album and a band that I first discovered in 2010 at Download Festival at Donington Park, the year that ACDC, Rage Against the Machine and Aerosmith headlined. Them Crooked Vultures played on the Friday evening and were the last band on before ACDC. I'm a huge ACDC fan and I'd waited years to see them live. I wasn't all that bothered about the bands that were on before them, my friends and I had seen most of them before and so we sat on the edge of the field, near the stage that ACDC brought with them, waiting for them to come on. Killswitch Engage finished and the final band before the main event walked out onto the stage. I can still recall my friend turning to me and saying, Oh my god, that guy on stage looks so much like Josh Hom. And that drummer, he looks like Dave Grohl. And wait, that's John Paul Jones. What the heck? Before grabbing my home and dragging me to as near to the front of the stage as we could possibly get. And then all of us almost exploding with excitement when we realised that he was right. On stage, right there in front of us, was one of the best rock supergroups of all time. John Paul Jones was bass player with Led Zeppelin. Dave Grohl is frontman of Foo Fighters and was also drummer in Nirvana, and Josh Hom is probably most well known for being the lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age. 
They formed a supergroup in 2009, made the incredible album I'm about to tell you about, toured with it in 2010, and then went back to their regular bands as though nothing ever happened. They were incredible live, and this is an equally incredible album. It's classified as hard rock, but I find it to be more of a sort of psychedelic folk rock album that actually, at times, especially on songs such as Gunman, Elephants and Mind Eraser, No Chaser, sounds like they would be perfectly at home on a David Bowie album. Each song on this album can also be read as beautifully dark, mildly twisted poetry. And it's just so wonderful to listen to. My favourite song is Spinning in the Daffodils. I recall them playing that song at Download Festival. It was really quite something to see so many rockers and metalheads with their long hair and equally long beards, shrouded in tattoos and leather, stood in the middle of Donington Park, twirling in circles, as though they too were spinning in the daffodils. A special moment to witness indeed. The band was so incredible live that it was almost a disappointment when their set finished. I could have quite easily watched a two-hour set from them. But then, Rosie rode the rock and roll train onto ACDC stage, and the disappointment faded as I realised that a moment I had waited many years for was finally happening. I was thunderstruck. Them Crooked Vultures were a superb supergroup, and I really hope they all collaborate again sometime. If you could form any supergroup, with any musicians, dead or alive, who would you pick and why? Get in touch and let me know. some of the music that I've been listening to this week. I've been listening to a lot of different things this week, and as I sat looking through the pile of albums from my record collection that I've played this week, I couldn't help but laugh to myself. It's such an erratic combination. There was mellow country music, classic folk music, and then heavy metal and some cheesy power ballads thrown in for good measure. I often wonder what a person's taste in music could tell you about them, but I dread to think what mine might say. I suppose it would either say that I love all different kinds of music, or that I'm frightfully indecisive. Perhaps both. All that being said, the first album that I want to talk to you all about today is arguably one of the most beautiful country albums of all time. Wine Coloured Roses by George Jones. This was the 27th studio album from American country singer songwriter George Jones. I first discovered the music of George Jones whilst helping my grandfather in his carpentry shed as a young girl. He had a cassette player in there and he used to always let me pick the tapes that we would listen to. Little did either of us know that one day, that carpentry shed would become the office where I spent many years writing about music. I always picked this album because I so loved to hear my granddad sing along to it. 
I feel like I say this so often when talking about music that I've grown up listening to. But this is another album that made more and more sense to me the older that I became. What was once just a beautiful song that my granddad would sing whilst he worked became a ballad of an alcoholic man attempting to apologise to the one he loves because he didn't stop drinking. I sent her some wine-coloured roses, the colour of grapes on the vine. When she sees the wine-coloured roses, they'll tell her I'm still on the wine. George Jones's music is autobiographical and documents his own struggles with alcoholism, with a lot of his biggest hits relating, in one way or another, to alcohol whether it's the title track of this album or songs such as If Drinking Don't Kill Me which, although it doesn't actually feature on this album is one of his most popular songs It's amazing the way George Jones can take something as destructive and ugly as alcoholism and make it sound so beautiful especially for those that lived through it with him but there's something so stunning about the raw honesty within those songs I really appreciate any creative person who can lay themselves out there like that for all to see. Along the same theme, George Jones' music also documents his tumultuous relationships and love of women. Whether it's beautiful songs such as Track 3, The Right Left Hand, that features lyrics such as I put a golden band on the right left hand this time. And the right left hand put a golden band on mine. Or the more comedic songs, such as track five, The Very Best of Me, which talks about what he'll donate upon his death. Give my dry lips to Jack Daniels. Give the jukebox both my ears. Plant one foot in Texas, one in Tennessee. And send my backside to my ex-wife. Tell her to seal it with a kiss. I can remember hearing that song as a young girl and wondering why someone called Jack Daniels would want somebody else's lips. It puzzled me for years, until one day, I was introduced to Jack Daniels. I have to say, I've never wanted to donate my lips to him, but there have been a few occasions when I would have gladly donated my headaches to him. (laughs) The most beautiful song on Wine Coloured Roses has to be These Old Eyes Have Seen It All. It's a song about George Jones sitting down at a bar with an old man who proceeded to tell George his life story, which George then tells us. His life story talks about music and how the old man saw Elvis change the world with rock and roll and Jimmy Rogers yodelling on stage. And then it talks about the war. I saw friends of mine on foreign soil die proud. I saw things over there, son, that I still can't talk about. I saw a crazy man named Hitler and his army rise and fall. Yeah, these old eyes have seen it all. It's a truly stunning song on an excellent country music album. It's a wonderful reminder as well to take the time to talk to the older people around us because they have seen it all and can share some truly incredible stories with us all. I can never resist a sad country song, 
They draw me in every time, and this album is littered with them. I love listening to this album because it gives me such a warm, nostalgic feeling. I can close my eyes and be standing in that carpentry shed all over again, building things with little bits of wood my granddad had cut off whatever he was building, listening to him sing. What's one album that you listen to that takes you back in time like that? I'd love to know. Talking about travelling back in time, the next album that I want to talk to you all about is Jerry Lee Lewis, Live at the Star Club, Hamburg. This is one of the greatest live albums ever recorded, and I'd give anything to travel back in time to be there that night in 1964, to witness the album as it really happened, in all of its frantic glory. Jerry Lee Lewis is an American singer, songwriter and pianist. Musically, he's most known for all of the tours that he did with Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley and Carl Perkins, who along with Lewis were known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Away from music, he had a very dramatic scandal that nearly ended his career when he married his 13-year-old cousin at the age of 22. It's funny, isn't it, how a nine-year age gap can seem like such a massive deal when one of the couple is underage. But if they had both been adults, nobody would have thought anything of it. Well, not of the age gap at least. Live at the Star Club Hamburg was recorded not long after Lewis's return to music in the wake of that scandal. And what a return to music it was. This album is exhausting to listen to because it's just relentless. You can hear throughout that the band are struggling desperately to keep up with Lewis as he crashes through song after song in an amazing raucous cacophony of pure rock and roll, played exactly as it should be. I think it would have been absolutely amazing to witness this event live, to be stood in the crowd watching the madness unfold, Listening to the album, you can hear that it is a brutally honest performance with almost a desperation to move away from scandals and just get back to music as he frantically hammers on the piano at what feels like a million miles an hour as he also sort of screams his way through every song with absolutely everything that he has leaving both himself and the listener breathless. With a few exceptions, such as ACDC Live in 1991, Nirvana's MTV Unplugged and Johnny Cash at San Quentin and Folsom, I'm not usually a fan of live albums, but with Jerry Lee Lewis, I prefer to listen to this album than to any of his studio albums. I think his music is much better enjoyed live or on a live recording than it is contained in a studio with no accompanying ambient sound, such as the equally loud and wild cheering crowds. I don't think you can really contain a man like Jerry Lee Lewis, and I think this album proved that. I'm curious, what's the best live album you've ever heard? Get in touch and let me know. Another week has gone whooshing by, 
Here I am once again to talk you through my weekly musical journey with notes on notes. The first album I want to talk about this week is Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. I go through phases with Elton John's music. Sometimes I really love it and sometimes I just don't fancy it. I suppose that's the same for a lot of people when it comes to a lot of different music. Earlier this week, whilst I was shuffling through my record collection, trying to decide what to listen to next, this album fell into my lap. I don't know if it was just a coincidence, or if there's a ghost going through my record collection, choosing what albums it wants to hear next, but either way, I decided to stick it on. I hadn't listened to Elton John for some time, and I'd almost forgotten just how fantastic he is. I saw him in Liverpool in 2009, and it was a brilliant performance. He's one of those performers that sounds just as good live as he does on any of his albums, and especially these days, in a world of autotune, that's a very rare thing. Or so it seems to me, at least. Elton John is an English singer, songwriter and composer. He's also one of the best-selling singers of all time. Yellow Brick Road is the seventh studio album by Elton John, released in 1973. I think this is one of the best Elton John albums of all time. It's an absolute masterpiece. This album was actually one of the first albums I ever added to my record collection when I started collecting in my teens. It was a gift from my mum, from her own record collection. It's been a very well-loved and much-played album over the years, and so the sleeve is well and truly faded and falling apart, and the album skips and jumps around at times, but I'd never replace it because that just adds to the enchanting listening experience in my opinion. This album features some of the greatest songs that Elton John and Bernie Taupin wrote together. Songs such as Candle in the Wind, which was written in memory of Marilyn Monroe, a woman I admire greatly. Marilyn Monroe was an American actress, model and singer in the 1940s and 50s, as well as being one of the most iconic sex symbols of all time. She died of an overdose, aged 36, and Candle in the Wind tells her life story beautifully. Loneliness was tough, the toughest role you ever played. Hollywood created a superstar, and pain was the price you paid. In 1997, Elton John performed Candle in the Wind with new lyrics written by Bernie Taupin at the funeral of Princess Diana. Goodbye, England's rose, from a country lost without your soul, who'll miss the wings of your compassion more than you will ever know. He later went on to release the Princess Diana version as a single, with all proceeds going to support charities the princess had supported in her lifetime, which I think is a really lovely thing to do, especially when you consider that the single is still one of the best-selling singles of all time. Another fantastic song that Elton John and Bernie Taupin wrote is the title track of this album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Elton John performed this song when we saw him in 2009 
and it reduced me to tears. To this day, I get chills thinking about it. There was something incredible about the pure emotion with which he sang the song. It was as though it were new, and the emotions of it all were still very real and very raw for him. It was phenomenal. A true showman indeed. Talking of 2009 and true showmen, that was the year we lost one of the greatest ever showmen, Michael Jackson. His album, This Is It, which is a posthumous compilation album of all of Jackson's best hits and a few previously unheard songs, was released in 2009 as an accompaniment to a DVD showing the rehearsals for what was to be Michael Jackson's final tour. But since he died before the tour began, the DVD became more of an in-memoriam piece. But I'm not particularly bothered about the DVD, but this is a great album. Growing up, I was never really a fan of Michael Jackson. I didn't dislike him, to be completely honest. I just didn't know anything about him or his music. I remember hearing Billie Jean on the radio a lot as a kid especially when I was in France. I recall my stepmom turning the radio up and singing and dancing along, but apart from those moments, he wasn't really around much. It sounds awful, but it wasn't until he announced his final tour that I started exploring his music. I remember it being all over the news that Michael Jackson was coming to London for a two-month residency at the O2 Arena. There was, understandably, so much hype surrounding it all, and it piqued my interest. Why was there so much hype over this frail-looking man standing at a press conference at the O2 Arena shouting, This is it! A reference to the fact that this was to be his final ever tour, and his final ever time in London. I started exploring his music and I was actually embarrassed that I hadn't paid all that much attention to it previously. It was amazing and I couldn't stop listening, watching and just absorbing as much of his music as I possibly could. I really began to admire Michael Jackson's work ethic as my exploration continued. The way that he gave absolutely everything to his music at times to the detriment of others and other areas of his life it was just incredible his love for what he did really shone through in everything and that is a truly wonderful thing sadly three months after the tour announcement michael jackson died and so what was billed as the greatest and most anticipated comeback tour of all time never came to be it's such a great loss he was only 50, and that's no age at all these days. I mean, look at Willie Nelson, 85 years old and still working just as hard as he ever did, and showing no signs of slowing down either. It's amazing. This Is It features a selection of Michael Jackson's biggest hits, wonderful songs such as The Way You Make Me Feel, which was once sung to me by a busker in Central Park, New York, as I stood watching him perform. A memorable experience indeed. 
Every time I hear that song, I can't help but smile as I remember how special that busker made me feel. Sometimes, a stranger can really brighten your day up. Has anything like that ever happened to you? My favourite song from this album is Earth Song. It's one of the most stunning songs that really showcases many of Michael Jackson's talents, in particular his voice. It shows it off beautifully. This song has such an important message behind it too, reminding us all how important it is to look after our planet, but it's done in such a socially conscious way that it doesn't feel like it's preaching at us, like some people tend to do with their political or environmentally motivated songs. The lyrics of our song are just divine. Did you ever stop to notice all the blood we've shed before? Did you ever stop to notice this crying earth, these weeping shores? Aren't they lovely? I think they're so emotive. That's beautifully tragic imagery of the earth and its shores crying. The way in which Michael Jackson sings as well, as though he might burst into tears at any time, is stunning. It's such an emotionally charged song and I just can't get enough of it. Which is your favourite Michael Jackson song? I'd love to know. I'd also love to know if there's anyone else out there who didn't discover the genius of Michael Jackson until much later, like me. Get in touch and let me know. items I've discussed over the last four weeks. Which album was your favourite? I'd love to know. I'd also really love to know what you've been listening to this month. Get in touch on Twitter at ProperCharlieM or Instagram ProperCharliePodcast and tell me. 